on this March 23rd, our text is the reason for the resurrection, and our lesson, rather, is the reason for the resurrection in the text is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, which read as follows. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in, and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say, and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And I'd like to spend our time this morning looking at the reasons for the resurrection. Now, although Jesus Christ repeatedly warned his disciples about his impending death on the cross, the disciples could not comprehend that which Jesus Christ was telling them. Human beings have an interesting psychological characteristic known as cognitive dissonance which means that the mind rejects any concept with which it does not agree. And the Bible alludes to this property in the disciples when Jesus first begins to tell the disciples about his impending death in Matthew 6, 21 through 30, 20, uh, 23. The Bible says from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. 
But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, although Jesus is revealing the plans of the kingdom of God to the disciples, the disciples just cannot comprehend God's plan. That which Jesus is saying is so far outside of the expectation of the disciples that Peter can't hold his peace, but decides that he has to rebuke Jesus for making such an insane prediction. What possible power could the Jewish religious leaders have over a man that can heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and cleanse lepers? It just doesn't make any sense to Peter and the boys. And there is precedent in the scripture for the position that the disciples are taking. 2 Kings 1, 9 through 15 records, Then the king sent to Elijah, a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So the captain went up to Elijah, and there Elijah was sitting on top of a hill. And the captain spoke to Elijah, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the captain answered and said to Elijah, Man of God, thus the king has said, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties. But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. So when God is with a man, generally speaking, the man is protected by the power of God. And the disciples thought no less of Jesus Christ than the Bible speaks of Elijah. Luke chapter 9, 51 through 54 records, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for Jesus to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John, John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? So the disciples fully expected Jesus to exhibit the power of God against those that chose to reject him, but Jesus had other plans. Luke chapter 9, verse 55 and 56 says, But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. 
The problem that the disciples faced and that many other Christians faced is the problem that Jesus described in Luke 9:55. We don't know what manner of spirit we are of, meaning that our normal reaction to a problem situation is usually not the same as that which the Holy Spirit would dictate. As a matter of fact, although we who are Christians are given the Holy Spirit to change our thinking, we also still have our own human nature within us. The way of thinking that Paul calls the flesh, our human propensity to employ violence to destroy our opposition that caused James and John to speak in the way that they did in Luke 9.54. Romans 8.5-14 through tells us, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the essential fact that the disciples cannot comprehend is that Jesus Christ has come to be the sacrifice for our sins meaning that his mission is to take the punishment that we are owed for the sins that we have committed so that God can give us a new spiritual nature by the power of the Holy Spirit and then allow us into heaven rather than give us the punishment that we so justly deserve. Paul describes our situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, which says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So God began his campaign to save man directly after the very first sin was committed. As he was confronting the serpent in the garden, he predicted the mission of Jesus Christ. Genesis 3, 14 and 15 reads, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. This is true because of the fact that in the normal case of human reproduction, the seed that creates a person comes from the person's human father. But Jesus Christ did not have a human father, having the unique experience of being born of a virgin. The only human being involved in his birth was his mother, which makes Jesus the seed of a woman. And the figure of Satan bruising Jesus' heel refers to Jesus' death on the cross of Calvary, which Satan caused by inciting those whom Jesus' sacrificial ministry was intended to heal into executing him. The figure of Jesus bruising Satan's head refers, for refers to Satan being cast in the pit of fire and brimstone that burns forever and ever without us, the sinners that have been saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, Satan has done everything that he can to thwart the plan of God for our lives, and Jesus chose to be bruised in order to atone for our sin and save our lives. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 and 10 through 12 tells us, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, the he in this passage of Scripture is Jesus Christ. He is the one that was wounded and bruised for our transgressions and iniquities, meaning our sins. Jesus is the one upon whom the Roman soldiers laid stripes during his scourging, although he had committed no sin. The stripes laid on him paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus came to earth to be a sacrifice. Jesus came to earth to provide a resolution for the problem that sin must justly be punished. Jesus came to give himself so that we do not have to bear the weight of the eternal punishment for our sins. And Jesus was born with the singular mission to die in our place. Romans 6, 20 through 23 clarifies, for when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit then did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, 
and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus' death on the cross was a gift to mankind, the gift of eternal life, the gift of eternal transformation, the gift of the new nature, the gift of a new spirit, the Holy Spirit that indwells our lives and changes the way that we think. Now, I have quoted the Old Testament books of Genesis and Isaiah and the New Testament book of Romans to support my theological conclusion. This is an intellectual theory. All of these great works of scriptures actually have human authors. Moses was the author of Genesis. Isaiah authored his book under his own name. And the Apostle Paul was the writer of the book of Romans. I'm telling you that these books are the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to these men who are their human authors. But I'm telling you that because someone told me that. Unless you yourself have seen God manipulate the mind of the men writing those books, my assurance to you that they are the handiwork of the Holy Spirit doesn't really mean much. After all, who am I? And the Lord Jesus Christ had a similar problem when seeking to assure his disciples that his doctrine of salvation was true. Of course, Jesus did miraculous work in the sight of his disciples and told them the plan of God for his life and for their lives. But the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples were ineffective to convince him of his deity when pitted against the horrible logic of his brutal physical death on the cross. Yes, Jesus told them that he was going to die to pay the penalty for our sins, and he did die. But how do we no actually know that Jesus' death did that which he said it was going to do. At the end of the day, Jesus was just as dead as everyone else that had ever died, and the fact that he prophesied his own death only meant that the prophecy, along with his crucified corpse, would linger in our minds when we considered him. And that was cold comfort even to those who actually believed in him. However... Luke relates an account of the activities of, of a group of men that thought highly of Jesus Christ. The third day after Jesus died, although they experienced some excitement when the women went to the tomb of Jesus and found it empty, cognitive dissonance kept them from really comprehending that which the women were telling them. They decided that now that Jesus was dead, life had to get back to normal and they needed to take care of some business in Emmaus, a town just up the road from Jerusalem. The ministry of Jesus Christ was an exciting experience of which to be a part, but now the party was over, Jesus was dead, and they had to get back to business. Luke 24, 13-24 records, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And Jesus said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? 
Then the one whose name was Clophas answered and said to Jesus, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? So they said to Jesus, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty and in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, this is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find Jesus' body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but Jesus they did not see. They did not see Jesus. Although they were talking to Jesus, they could not recognize him. But the principal reason for the resurrection is that seeing is believing. Jesus talked to the men and explained his mission on earth to them. Luke 24, 25 to 29 records, then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and Jesus indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained Jesus, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now, from the perspective of the travelers, the man with whom they were talking was a biblical scholar with excellent knowledge of the Old Testament who was able to point out all of the places in those books that pointed to the mission and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Since Jesus Christ was the topic of the day, the two disciples were drawn to the arguments of this scholar and thought that it would be wonderful if this scholar could take the time to break bread with them and continue his exposition of the scripture so that they could be comforted by the fact that Jesus Christ not only told them that he was the fulfillment of scripture, but that they had independent biblical confirmation. At the dinner table, however, they received the unmistakable confirmation that they did not expect, but that was ultimately convincing. Luke 24, 32 records, Now it came to pass, as Jesus sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew Jesus, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while Jesus talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So all of the circumstances and all of the interesting discussions made for an intellectually stimulating day, but no discussion could have convinced the two disciples of Jesus' deity and resurrection from the dead in the way that actually seeing Jesus Christ in the flesh did once they got over the initial shock and ha of having seen and conversed with a crucified man who had been certified as dead by the Romans, then buried in a tomb from Friday until Sunday morning. So they went back to tell their fellow disciples of their experience. And upon arriving, 
they and the other disciples duplicated the experience that the two had in Emmaus. Luke and John record this. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about that things about the thing that had happened on the road and how Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. <coughs> when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still not did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took and ate it in their presence. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you when I was still with you that all these things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name in all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Now, unfortunately, we will not sit in that room with Jesus and break bread together. We will never have the objective experience of Thomas, whom Jesus invited to put his finger into the wounds caused by the nails and the spear in his wrist and side. Although the evidence of history is overwhelmingly abundant and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested to historical event in the history of the world before the invention of the printing press, and that there is more documentary and even physical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for any other event in antiquity, we have to rely on the testimony of history for our confirmation that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Unless we accept the accounts of the life, ministry, death, burial, and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ on faith, and then pray to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the disciples in John 14, 25, and 26, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit is our helper. It is he that motivates us to continue in the doctrines of Jesus Christ and establishes the church. 
The Holy Spirit is the unseen power that inspires us to tell others about the Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, and being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the power that we have to transform our lives by our belief in Jesus Christ and the power that we have to influence the lives of others to believe in Jesus Christ comes from the same Holy Spirit of God that motivated the disciples into their great work. 1 Corinthians 12 and 3 tells us, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives makes the salvific plan complete. He helps us by transforming our thinking and making us realize the reality of the Christ and the correctness of his teaching. We can resist the teaching of the Holy Spirit just as we can resist any other teaching that we receive, but the effectual working of the power of the Holy Spirit navigates the circumstances of our lives to gather us under the authority of the Word of God so that that which we experience can ultimately bring us to the same place of intellectual belief of faith to which Jesus brought the disciples. So the reason for Jesus' resurrection, which we commemorate on every Sunday, including this Easter Sunday, is to give us a starting place for belief to give us the sure testimony of those that were there that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins, and that he rose physically from the dead. This is the single most important event in the history of the world because it is the event that allows our eternal destiny to be heaven rather than hell. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 through 1 teaches us, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ completes the reconciliation of man to God. Let us recognize and commemorate Jesus' great sacrifice for us, and let us resolve to live our lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit, reconciled to God with the mission to live through our tribulations with perseverance, character, and hope that others may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That is the message of the resurrection, and let us celebrate it not just on Easter Sunday, but every day. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Praise God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us this lesson, that you've given us this explanation of that that you were doing on the cross, of that which you had started, which you began in the garden, that you culminated on the cross, and then that you rose from the dead, that we might have the gift of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that you have taught and then base our daily personal decisions on those principles. Give us perseverance through trials. Give us character and hope that others may see our good works and glorify you in heaven. And Lord, we pray for all who are in the house today. And we ask you to give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. Praise God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us another chance to come out to the house of prayer, and we thank you that you've given us another opportunity to meet with one another and fellowship with one another. Now, uh, we're in prayer for Sister Allen this morning, and we're asking you, Lord, that uh, you would uh, lighten her heart as she is bereaved in the loss of her uncle. And we ask you, Lord, that, she, that you would allow her to uh, have a positive influence on those uh, whom she has traveled a great distance to see, that she might have a good visit with uh, uh, her aunt, Nota Brown, that is also under the weather. We're in prayer for her. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless in her case. And we're praying for Sister Allen's father, Brother Hersey, that he will continue to keep his uh, sugar under control. Uh, we're also praying for her mother, Sister Artis, that uh, she might be able to have that ankle healed from her situation. And, uh, that she might not have to undergo surgery on it. And we just ask you, Lord, that uh, you just go with that family and stand by them, bless the store and all that are working in Sister uh, Allen's absence to take her place while she's away. And we just ask you, Lord, that also, as we've said, that you give her traveling mercy coming back. We pray for her grandchildren, and we ask you that you bless those young people uh, on this Easter Sunday. I'm praying for uh, those about whom my wife is concerned, for Paul. We ask you that you give him traveling mercies. We thank you that... He was able to make it back safely from Florida and then make it up here to be with us today. And we ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless him as he travels up and down the dangerous highways, and that you give him traveling mercies, and then you give him 
uh, technical solutions to the problems that he comes across and just allow him to do well in the eyes of those who are evaluating his, his work. And we also pray for Sister Barr. We're asking that you continue to bless her and we thank you that she was able to make it up here, that we might all have an interesting and, and uh, fun family afternoon. And we just ask you, Lord, that you'd bless us today. Let all that come to join with us. Uh, come safely, enjoy the day, and then return home safely. Just give us traveling mercies on the road as we go. Also praying for Sister Camille Garrity, who is in Mayo Clinic, uh, have, preparing to have surgery for her pancreatic cancer. And we ask you, Lord, that you would bless her, that you would go with her and stand by her, that you would guide her and direct her in all that she does, give her doctors a skill and ability as they uh, do that which is required for them uh, uh, to take care of that situation. We're praying for those whom Paul is concerned uh, with. We're asking you that you bless Rick as he's over in Germany. And we're, at, we're thanking you, Lord, that he's there and that uh, he, he at the moment is out of harm's way, and we ask you that you keep him. Put the hedge of protection around him and bless his young wife as they are separated. But we just ask you, Lord, that you give her uh, fortitude and give her strength in that situation that she might uh, be eagerly preparing for his arrival back in the States. Also praying for Eric and Amanda, asking you to bless the child that they are preparing to bring into the world and bless their family situation as well. Thanking you for Brother Edwards, Lord, for his uh, travels and for his return. And we ask you, Lord, that you continue to be with him. Uh, we thank you that those whom he has been training uh, have learned the lessons well and have acquitted themselves well. And we thank you for his son, who is also uh, acquitting himself well in the activity that he is involved in. And we're asking, Lord, that you continue to bless their family, Lord. Help them to raise up those sons in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from it. And we thank you for that as well. Now we're praying for those whom Brother and Sister Lee are concerned. We're asking you that you bless Alan Brace and Larry White. And we're also praying for uh, Rowena Cena. We're asking that you bless her as well and for Ron Bishop. We're asking you, Lord, that you bless all that they're concerned with. And we ask you that you uh, give Darius that which he requires in this spring term that he might be able to uh, do something uh, there that will actually benefit him uh, in this last uh, few days of school that he has. Allow him to learn those last lessons and do well on those last tests that he might be able to uh, graduate with high honors and be ready for the next phase of his life. And we're praying for Cedric as well. We're thanking you that he did well on his scholarship examination and we ask you Lord that you prepare him for the next phase in his academic career. Career, Allow him to do well in this springtime, his last term of school here, and get him ready for the fall. Prepare his mind for the responsibility that he has to come. And we thank you for that as well. We pray for his parents, and we ask you, Lord, that you would bless them and allow them to continue to train him up in the way that he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from the need. Now, we're praying this morning for Brother and Sister McClure, who are both sick with a respiratory condition. And we're asking, Lord, that you would extend down the hem of your garment, that they might touch it and become whole, even as did the woman with the issue of blood. And we thank you for J.J., who's here today. And we're asking, Lord, that you would continue to bless him, give him strength, and that uh, limb that's being repaired. And we ask you that uh, you would give him uh, full flexion and ability to, uh, to use it, Lord. Just give him his, his strength back in that need that he might be able uh, to uh, do all the things that a young man would want to do. 
Now we're asking you, Lord, also that you would bless him in his academics as the end of the school term is coming for him as well. And we ask you, Lord, that you go with him and stand by him. Give him focus and give him uh, guidance as he listens to the professors and remembers what they say that on test day he might be able to remember it completely and come up with a good, uh, a good acquittal of himself on the test time. We pray for his sister as well as she's finishing up her collegiate career. We ask that you bless her in these last few weeks and give her that which she requires to be ready for the next phase in her situation. Now, Lord, I'm also praying for the Winstons, asking you to bless them, bless, bless Brother Jerome as he's still in therapy for his knee surgery, and bless Sister Winston as well. Now, we're asking you, Lord, that you would bless uh, Dad and bless Aunt Naomi and bless uh, Brother Marvin and Uncle Jab and Aunt Elizabeth, all in, all in Chicago and all around the country. We just ask you, Lord, that you go with them and stand by them. We're praying for Brother Perkins as he's raising those young girls and we ask you that you'd be with Brother Northern as he's raising those young fellows. And just go with those young men and stand by them as they are preparing the next generation. Now we're asking you, Lord, that you'd also bless the television station and uh, the armed forces over here, overseas and at home, the young men and women in this neighborhood, and the salvation of our family and friends, if there's any, that don't know you in the pardon of their sins. And we also pray, Lord, uh, that you would bless us here in this little place. Give us the word that we might have it to impart and bless someone who is listening. And Lord, I pray for my wife who's the love of my life. Allow us to continue to be with one another in comfort and in love. Give us activities and things to do that will bless us both together and help us to have joy in these times that we have. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And thank God. Jesus Christ died that our sins might be forgiven. The singular most important event in the history of the world happened out on the hill called Calvary, where Jesus gave his life suffered, bled, and died on the cross that we might have a right and a just right to the tree of life. He paid the penalty that we owe for the sins that we have committed and let us remember the great sacrifice that he made for us. The old preacher said he didn't have to do it, but he did. And he gave himself that we might have rights to the tree of life. Let us remember all that Jesus Christ did for us. And let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. Remember the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. Let us the Bible is now henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say,